This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we'll discuss Dana White weighing in on the Stephen A. Smith controversy. We'll talk to UFC light heavyweight Anthony Smith as he previews the UFC 247 main event for us. And we'll also sort of discuss about whether or not the fans are beginning to change their impressions of Jorge Masvidal. It's the Luke Thomas Show every weekday, Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. So Dana White was asked to weigh in on this um, Stephen A. thing, which I know you're like, oh my God, you guys are talked about this to death. Yeah, but it's a boring fight week, so we got to get in where we fit in. In any event, it was, I thought his answer was just hysterical, because on the one part, he's like sort of correct. On the other part, it's like hilariously out of touch. Um, here's what he wrote. Here's what he said. I guess he told this to uh, John Morgan. Is that what he said? Yeah. Quote, this is Dana White. I didn't hear Smith's comments. I didn't hear what he said. I know that there was some stuff going back and forth, which is going to happen. One of the things we uh, bought and built the UFC that we always did, being uh, fight fans ourselves, I'm a huge fight fan. Lorenzo is a big fight fan. Joe Rogan is a huge fight fan. And one of the things that we hated was on HBO Boxing and some of the other boxing that they would do. Listen, you're tuning in buying the pay-per-view because you love these guys and you respect the fighters and you're a fan of the sport. The last thing you want to do is hear somebody ripping them apart. I'm not into it. Rogan's not into it. You don't see that in the UFC. There will be times where I'm pissed off at a guy, and I'll voice my opinion on whatever he did or whatever, or if a fight is really bad or somebody did something. But what we don't do is when a fighter is over and a guy loses, we don't go in and rip them apart. It's just not our style. We're fans. We don't do it. So I think Rogan was reacting to that because that's our philosophy here. And then he adds, for Stephen A. Smith, that's his thing. That's what he does. It's going to happen. You're always going to have people whoever difference in opinions, especially when you have two very opinionated guys like Stephen A. Smith and Joe Rogan. I mean, I don't understand how they, people keep trotting this shit out. Um, like, you know, oh, it's just his opinion that people are really bitter about. I'm not bitter about an opinion. I'm bitter about the, I've said this a million times, about an unqualified person having a job they can't do. But, okay. First of all, I understand sort of what he's getting at. I Can I be honest to the audience here? What he's talking about the HBO Boxing does, I actually like. It's one of the reasons why I preferred HBO Boxing to UFC broadcasts. Not that they would rip a fighter. I, I'm not interested in seeing that exactly. But instead, you had Jim Lampley, you had Roy Jones Jr., and you had Max Kellerman. If a fighter did really well, they would almost always say it. If they did poorly, they would say it. Remember, HBO wasn't the one putting on the fights. I mean, yes, they would broadcast them, but they weren't the promoter. The promoter would work with HBO, and that was the arrangement. So HBO, yeah, I mean, they had a, they had some kind of interest to tell the story in a positive way, but it wasn't HBO fighters in that in the, in the kind of sense that it's a UFC fighter. So they'd kind of just call it what it was. I thought that was refreshing, to be honest with you. That That's just me thinking out loud. The UFC is very different. The UFC doesn't like to call to say things negative about a fighter. In part because, let's just be honest, MMA fans are sensitive. MMA fighters are extremely sensitive. Dude, you cannot imagine how sensitive MMA uh, fighters are. However sensitive the most sensitive person you know is, realize that MMA fighters are worse. Not all of them, the vast majority. 
they wouldn't know responsible criticism ever because they can't dis- they can't discern irresponsible criticism from fair and reasonable criticism. And being a former fighter won't help you. They'll just go after you and then demean your accomplishments. You know, it just doesn't matter to them. So this is why when people are like, oh, who's mad at you? Why are they mad at you? I'm like, dude, you can't really worry about that stuff. You do have to reflect on whether or not you were factual, whether or not it was fair. you got to be really careful about it. You can't just say things for effect. But on some level, even if you take all the steps you can to be kind and to be charitable and to say the right thing, they're going to get mad. None of those things are what I'm holding against Stephen A. Smith. What I'm holding against him is just really silly, shitty, shoddy arguments. That's it. No more, no less. And, and by the way, unable to realize basic facts and re- repeating them over and over, like when he said this was Cerrone's first pay-per-view, and he, and he repeated it there on the post-fight show, and then days later in his response to, to Joe Rogan, he's just he's just ill-equipped for the task. Okay, so so that's the issue. But I've said before, it's not that you can't say a fighter quit. You just need to have really good evidence. You need to have good evidence, like what Amir Khan did against Bud Crawford. That's really, that was so unusual. It's hard to know what the explanation could have really been. Um, and you and you you only know if it's unusual if you watch a ton of fight sports. That's the only way to really make it happen. But it was just hilarious to me because I was. He's like, you know, we don't really do that here. Well, on the broadcast, they definitely treat fighters with kid gloves. That is true. But Dana White, I mean, went out of his way to say Kenny Florian chokes in big fights. He said the exact same thing about Tyron Woodley. He said Tyron Woodley chokes in the big fights. Um, and he's ripped any number of fighters who were boring after the fact or said something he didn't like or, you know, maybe he doesn't go heavy after the losers of fights in the way in which he's talking about Stephen A. But the idea that, like, you know, He's discerning about the feelings of fighters after difficult contests. I mean, none of that is true. I was like, all right, I mean, I get your point, Dana. I know what you're saying. You're not the best messenger on this topic. You're just not. So sorry about that. Um, In any event, now he has weighed in. And then Stephen A. has been tweeting up a storm today, Cobb. Do you see the feed now? Oh, yeah. He's looking at a lot of different stuff. Um, you know, he's talking about Joel Embiid and some of the trades and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then someone says, listen to this. Someone says, Stephen A. hates criticism at any level. And he responds, actually, I don't. It fuels me. Oh, God, he's so brave. Cobb, he's so brave. Dot, 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 in case you need notes. All I'm saying is the criticism needs to be valid. All this noise on behalf of a dude who lost in 40 seconds? Come on. This moron just doesn't get it, does he? He just, I mean, keep digging. Keep digging, Stephen A. This dude cannot figure out what the issue is here because he's unwilling to and because he has enablers at ESPN who just don't care. So, like, the fact that he's tweeting this tells me he's going to be back on a UFC broadcast as soon as it's big enough for him to feel like he's warranted to be there. Is he there Which tomorrow? Is to say big enough, you know. Is he there tomorrow? Don't know. Don't know if he's there tomorrow. There might be an NBA assignment he has. Who knows? Um, he might call into or you know like Skype in or whatever they do to Sports Center. That might be a thing he does as well. But I suspect he'll be back on the broadcast in no time. He went after uh, MMA Mania, so Mania put out a head uh, uh, a 
an article, and it says, UFC 247 headletter Johnny Bones advises tremendous reporter Stephen A. Smith to do more homework. Um, he goes, sorry for these, uh, I am no expert. I was just expressing what I saw. Well, then why are you on the broadcast, genius? Um, also says, you know how many times Dana White and I have disagreed over the years? Doesn't stop me from loving and respecting that man, or Joe Rogan for that matter. But he didn't change my mind before, and he's not changing it now at MMA Mania. So get the hell over it. I said exactly what I meant. I meant that that night, MMA Mania, and I mean it now. Uh, whether it was the bright lights, pay-per-view, or Conor McGregor's uh, shoulder shots, which he all misspelled, that's how the hell I feel about what I saw, and that is that. Now y'all have a nice day and a weekend. You hear? Yeah, man. Well, congratulations, everybody, who defended this practice. Now we are stuck with this buffoon who is utterly incapable of doing the job in an interesting and novel way, and uh, in a way that might in any way make you learn more about the broadcast. Yeah, when Dana White talks about how their broadcast is different from HBO, that's not a good thing. The HBO broadcast was giving you reality. This all, to me, feels like some weird North Korea lowest common denominator analytical nonsense. So congratulations, MMA fans, who fought with me about whether or not this was good for MMA. Well done. Great job. Look at what you have brought in. Sirius XM Fight Nation celebrates Black History Month every weekday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Ock and Barack Show. All month long, the show reflects on the life and legacy of different influential African-American athletes. Such icons as Muhammad Ali. I'm the king of the world. Kobe Bryant. You guys will always be in my heart. I love you guys. Jackie Robinson. Robinson dashes to the plate. Safe. And more will be recognized for the impact they made both in and out of sports. The Ock and Barack Show. Weekdays noon till 3 Eastern. Only on Sirius XM Fight Nation. Our guest on the line is a man who is a top-ranked UFC light heavyweight, has fought John Jones as a great television analyst and a great radio host as well. It is the one and only Anthony Smith. Hi, Anthony. How are you? I'm good, Luke. How are you doing, man? I- I'm doing well. Nice to talk to you again, Anthony. You know, someone brought up something, and I didn't hear it uh, because I, you know I've been busy working all week, but I was curious enough to follow up with you. Someone told me you were on Ariel Hawani's show, I think either this week or last week, and that you had mentioned something about how John Jones, during the course of a week, a fight week in particular, obviously, sort of like the way in which he makes opponents wait for him and then the way, things he tweets and blah, 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 he does this all in a very purposeful way such that by the time the fight happens, you're kind of exhausted. I wonder if you could, uh, A, tell me what you actually said and B, um, you know, what the significance of that is relative to Dominic Reyes. Um, well, I mean, essentially what I was getting at was it, it, there's more to John Jones than just the X's and the O's. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize that because a lot of fighters won't talk about it that have, that have fought John Jones in the past. He, he, he's, he's polarizing to other people. So even when you're around other UST staff and fighters and, and the people that you're around day to day during the fight week, it's different. They don't treat you the same. Um, and then, you know, it goes on to, like, like I talked about with him, messing with your schedule and, you know, he'll tweet stuff knowing that you're going to get asked about it. And, and then, you know, there, and there's all the other stuff that come along with John Jones. And what that means for Dominic Reyes is that he, he's relatively green in the sport. You know, I'm a grizzled veteran. I've been in this game since the end of 2006, and it annoyed me a little bit. Um, I'm just wondering if Dominic is going to be able to handle that part of it. You know, he talked about the allure – of John Jones being greater than John Jones. And, and I, and I disagree with that. It's, 
it's just it's it's an added factor. And I'm not trying to give John Jones a rub. I'm, I'm meaning he's he's difficult to deal with, obviously in the octagon, but he's difficult to deal with outside of it. Um, and I think Reyes discounting that that is a factor and that that's something he's going to have to deal with is, is going to do him a disservice. How much uh, of the extra media that you had to do that week played a role in perhaps your dissatisfaction with the experience? Um, a little bit. You know, it's, you're just busy. You're just busy and you don't have a lot of time to, you know, just sit and, and, and take in what you're about to do. It's, it's, it's a hustle and it's a bustle and you're from one interview to the next, to the next, to the next. And, and obviously the week of the fight, you know, the training is mainly done, but like my fight weeks are typically pretty chill. And, and it's not like I'd never been in a main event before. This wasn't a, a, a moment that I was unfamiliar with. It's just, it's a lot more. And, and, and there's not a lot of sitting and chilling and, and, and relaxing and, and preparing mentally for what you're going to do because you just are from one interview to the next talking about it. Hmm. Uh, the one other factor that you and uh, Dominic Reyes shared, although for different in different ways, as you mentioned, you were a grizzled veteran. You had, uh, I think, your record going into the Jones fight was thirty-one and thirteen. I mean, you're just well experienced even before that fight in ways that Do- I mean, Dominic Reyes made his MMA debut in twenty fourteen for crying out loud. Um, but the one thing that you guys have in common is that while you both were in main events, neither of them prior to that fight had gone to the fourth or fifth round. Now, that fight with Jones for you went to the fifth, and since then you beat Gustafson, that fight going to the fourth. I wonder what you make of it for this case for Reyes. He had the Chris Weidman main event, but he got stopped in the first round. This dude has never had to, like, you know, rally the troops, so to speak, in the fourth and the fifth. What kind of role could that play in this fight? I think it's going to play a big role uh, just because John Jones is very comfortable in there. Um this, it's not very often that I go into a fight and the person that I'm in that fight with is as comfortable being in the, in the octagon as I am. And it's very clear that he's comfortable. He's where he wants to be. Um, and, and you're not going to – deep water is not going to scare John Jones. I, I think more so the, the five-round atmosphere being an issue for Reyes, I think it has less to do with, you know, maybe the conditioning factors that some people talk about. I think it has a lot to do with – his power fading later on in the fight. I, I think that if he can't put a big shot on John early, I don't think that that big shot is going to come. Uh, doesn't matter what kind of athlete you are, how great you are, how great your conditioning is. You, you're not as fast and as powerful and as mobile as you are in the fifth. Like you're, you're your best in the first and the second round, you know, and as the fight goes on, those chances fade away of him being able to catch John Jones with something big. And by that time, John will have him figured out already. And that's the problem with John Jones. He's, Dominic Reyes doesn't possess the ability, in my opinion, to beat John over a 25-minute fight. That's not saying that I don't think he has any chance at all. I think that when, it, when you're breaking down the X's and the O's of what, what, you need, what you need in a Dominic Reyes to beat John Jones, I don't think anyone in the world thinks he's going to win a decision. Uh, hmm. that's, he just doesn't have that, those kind of tools. Yeah, unless there's some unless the Adelaide Bird is out there, you never know. But of course, this is Texas. <laughs> that's that's true. Uh, now, you guys do have a mutual opponent, uh, Volkan Uzdemir. He beat him controversially, but he did get his hand raised, and you submitted Volkan in the third round. I'm sure you've gone back and looked at some of the tape. What did you learn from Dominic's fight with uh, uh, Uzdemir, knowing Uzdemir as you do? You know, as much as it, as much as it would be easy to look at that and say, you know, he's got a wrestling. Uh, he's got a wrestling issue that he needs to deal with. He's got a 
conditioning issue he's got to deal with. Uh, I've been in there with Vulcan Ozdemir, and he's different. Uh, it, things that typical people uh, typically react to, Vulcan doesn't. Uh, Vulcan has one of the best chins of anyone I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, I mean, I've la- I landed clean, hard, powerful punches on Vulcan, and he didn't even flinch. You know, he didn't even blink. That that creates problems when you think you have something that's going to work. And, I see, and, I, and in that fight, I seen uh, Dominic deal with those same issues. Um, but it's I, I think he learned a lot from that, and I think that's what he can take from the from the Vulcan fight. He was able to get all the lessons uh, that a loss gives you. You know, because typically when you have a win, depending on what kind of coaches you have or what kind of, you know, mindset you have, you don't win a fight and then spend a lot of time talking about all the shit you did wrong. That's just not how most fighters are. Uh, so I think he got the lessons that come along with the loss without actually having to take the L. Uh, so it, the way he talks, he, he doesn't talk like that's a fight that he clearly knows that he won. And I, and I think that that's, that's a positive. He definitely knows that it was controversial, that maybe he got away with a gift, um, and that he took that gift and, and used it positively. Uh, that, that's kind of what I take from it. I just know how tough it is. It's hard to get a read on anybody from Vulcan because of how tough and greedy he is and how much better he is than he looks from the outside. Fair enough. Anthony Smith joins us here on the Luke Thomas Show. So, Anthony, I was, I, it's easy to go back and look at all of Dominic Reyes' fights for the most part. Even the ones in LFA, they're all on Fight Pass. And I went back and I watched him, and one thing sort of stood out to me, and I wonder what you make of this. If you disagree with the analysis, by all means, please tell me so. You know better than me. But when I was watching it, I was like, you know, a lot of people, most of his opponents, by the way, have been orthodox, and John's going to switch it up, which I think makes it interesting. But a lot of them had pressed him backwards. He's pretty good, uh, not only landing offense backing up, whether it's the uppercut or the, or the left straight, but he's also pretty good about getting his back up off the fence or never finding himself there, pretty good about keeping his feet moving. But on offense, he's not that not that great about like cornering someone. You don't see a lot of cage cutting from him. Some in that third round of the Uzdemir fight, it's not a strong suit of his. And I thought to myself, I know this is a long-winded question, but just follow me. I thought to myself, that could be an interesting thing depending on who's the bull in the matador with, with John. But then I went back and I watched John versus Tiago Santos, and he was the bull in that one, but just enough to keep everything kind of at kicking range where Tiago couldn't really blitz on him and land anything. So I wonder, what do you make of who will be the bull and the matador here, and does it really matter? I, I think it absolutely matters, uh, and I think it, it's funny that you bring up that point. One of the points that I'm making on the pre-show tonight on ESPN is that Dominic Reyes, for whatever reason, I don't know if it's he was coached that well or if it's something he does naturally, but once he touches the fence or he feels like he's getting close, I've never seen anybody do it the way he does it. He he turns his shoulders just off enough to where if he was to get pushed back, he wouldn't hit the fence again. And the way he fires that left hand, whether it's like you said, the uppercut or the straight, it's almost immediate. So I don't know if it's just, that's his natural reaction, but it's the same way he knocked out Oban St. Prue. As soon as his back touched, he turns his shoulders and fires that shot. Uh, and, and it's very similar to how he knocked out Chris Weidman. And it's, that's odd. The, it's, the way he does it is different. So if, if I'm John Jones, I'm not going to force anything with, with Dominic Reyes. It, the way that he fought Tiago and, and, and similar to how he fought me, um, the more he pushes, the more dangerous he's going to be in because Dominic is a, re- a really, really good counter striker. Uh, but like, like you said, he's not crazy offensive and he's not trapping anybody and he's not, he doesn't set a lot of traps. He doesn't do things at the beginning that are going to pay off later. 
um, what you see is, is very much what you get. So hmm. if, if I was John, I would back off of being the bull and, and, and be the matador because that's where Dominic is going to struggle. If he has to chase John Jones, um, th- that's, that's going to be a really tough thing to have to do, especially John- because John's so hard to hit anyways. And uh, Gustafson in the second fight and DC in both fights pressed him backwards. He's pretty good at absorbing that pressure too, John Jones, right? Yeah, yeah, and he and he's got the he's got the conditioning and the mindset to deal with it. That, that's a lot of things when it comes down to dealing with pressure. Once you start stressing and you start you're trying to avoid, 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 and, and you got things being flown at your head, people start to they start to stress, and the, as your stress levels go up, your conditioning goes down. Uh, and like I said before, John is very comfortable in there. It's really hard to get him uncomfortable, which is why he's able to fight for so long at such a high, at such a high pace. Um, and that's not how Dominic Reyes wants to fight. You know, once you pull someone out of your game uh, or out of their game, things start going haywire a little bit because Dominic doesn't want to have to chase John Jones. Uh, I, I really think his best chance is if John wants to come out and be a bully – and push him around. That's that's where that's that's where Dominic is going to be in his wheelhouse a little bit. Um, but if he has to chase John and try to pressure him, and it, John's okay with that too. So you know, I just think that as much as I think Dominic does have a chance, he can catch him. I mean, this is a fight. I just don't know if he has enough tools to to get there. And the last thing on this one, I want to ask you about a future fight. One thing it seems to me you need if you're going to fight John is you got to have a plan A, right? And then assume, even if he ne- it never happens, let's assume he takes plan A away from you. you got to have a plan B, maybe even a plan C. Dominic's never really been forced to show a plan B. So I really wonder what's going to happen when everything he thinks is going to work, let's assume for a moment, it doesn't really. Well, now where are you? Would you agree with that? 100%. 100%. That's, I guess, you know, you, you said it better than I did, but that's essentially what, what my whole kind of analysis of this fight is where Dominic is good. His plan a is very, very good. I don't know if he has a plan B I, I and, and not, at least not at John Jones level. Do I think he can wrestle and do jujitsu and, and fight in the clinch? Well, absolutely. But can he do it at John Jones's level? Not that we've seen doesn't mean that he can't, but I, I haven't seen it. Um, and I don't think you've seen it. I, I don't know where plan B would be. Uh, I don't think that he's going to be able to take John down. Um, and I think if John decides he wants Reyes on his back, I think that's where Reyes is going to end up. Uh, Last... And jujitsu-wise, I, I just don't think that, that, that it's there. You know, and, and I think that's the problem. Last question for you. I'll let you go. really appreciate your time. Uh, let's assume that John wins and John wins dominantly, whatever that means to you. What would you rather see? And what, what, what do you think would be – yeah, I'll leave it at that. Let's say John wins dominantly. What would you rather see next? John Jones at 205 versus Adesanya. John Jones at heavyweight versus Miocic. Uh, John Jones at heavyweight versus Miocic. Why? Uh, I think it's time. You know, I, I think it's time that he goes up. He, he wants to be considered the, the greatest of all time. And he's one of the few people that, that so far to this point has refused to go up. I think that – I think it's good for – I think it's good for everybody, you know, and, and honestly answering that question like that hurts me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause it puts two Oh five on a hold and, and I get through Glover and then, you know, now the belt's on hold because John's fighting Stipe. But I think, I think that's what everybody wants. I think everyone's been talking about it for years. And instead of missing an opportunity like we did with Anderson versus GSP or, or the number of other super fights that never happened that everyone wishes did. I, I think that 
both these guys are it's now or never Stipe's not getting any younger and 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 from what I understand and have heard uh he doesn't want to be doing this for another three or four years so I, if it's going to happen it needs to be soon you got to be pumped for uh, as you indicated there April 25th UFC Fight Night 173 you're taking on Glover you have not fought in Lincoln Nebraska since September of 2015 uh excuse me uh, correction January of 2016 but that was your last fight before you got to the UFC with Victory FC and when you fought Josh Near nervous excited how are you feeling about going back home I'm really excited uh a little bit nervous I, I I'm curious of what the reception is going to be you know I there's a lot that goes on as far as media, especially when you're in your hometown. So I know it's going to be busy and, and, you know, people are already reaching out and trying to figure out how they get free tickets. So you always got to deal with that bullshit, but um, I'm excited, man. I'm really, really excited. I made my pro debut in Lincoln, Nebraska in 2008. Uh, So I'm excited to come back and show everyone what I've been doing. If you want more of Anthony Smith tonight at 5.30 p.m. Eastern, he will be on UFC Live. It'll be him, John Anik, and Chael Sonnen. Great analysis, Anthony. Uh, Looking forward to seeing you on TV tonight, and uh, enjoy the fights. Thanks, man. Take care. There he goes. One of the best guys in Da Biz. John Jones is one of the most dominant champions in UFC history. He might be the greatest talent that we've ever seen in the UFC. And at UFC 247, he defends his light heavyweight throne from dangerous knockout artist Dominic Reyes. Hey, John, hold that bell, baby. Let's go. Join Sirius XF Fight Nation this Saturday for full coverage beginning at 6 p.m. Eastern, followed by post-fight reaction and analysis starting at 1 a.m. Eastern. We bring the fight to you. Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. I have noticed something. Now, I'm not sure how big it is because all my evidence for it is anecdotal, which is to say, not in any way scientific. Um, are people beginning to turn on Masvidal? What do you think? I think so, yes. Okay. Now, tell me why you believe that, what the evidence is that makes you conclude that that is true. One, I can just see he's doing a lot of kind of like the same interviews. I feel like he's falling into the same trap that Kobe did for a while, where you're so far out from a, from your next fight, but yet you keep kind of hitting the same notes that people get tired of it. And two, I think we discussed this offline. Uh, when the Cerrone Connor fight happened, there was that moment where Megan O'Leary interviewed him, where he was in the robe and had you know a nice little chalice, the belt, and stuff like that. And my friends who were casual watchers who don't really know anything about the BMF belt, don't know about you know the stuff that Jorge's done, looked at him and went, "Who is this loser?" I had to explain to them that he's good, like he's one of the top welterweights in 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 the UFC. They're like, "Really? This tryhard like wannabe guy?" I'm like, "Which is by the way how McGregor labeled him." Yeah, dude, that's why I laughed so hard when he said, "God loves a trier." I'm like, "That's how yeah. my friends felt." Dude, that was I gotta tell you. You know, rather than going after and making fun of Habib's wife and shit, which I thought was so disgraceful and awful, that was one of the most savage insults I've ever seen. And it was so subtle. You know what I mean? Like, he didn't he didn't go crazy. He didn't blow it. You know, ah, I, I hate him so much. He's the worst thing in the world. He was just like, ah, you know, God loves a trier. It just made him sound so small, you know? Yes. That was what really stood out to me about that. Um, Kelly, do, do you have any, as a, as the, you don't listen to the show much, but we've talked about this topic a lot about the growth of Jorge Masvidal here on the show. Do you, do your friends or anybody you hang out with, do they have any comments about Jorge at all? I mean, my one friend that watches 
UFC a lot thought the whole robe thing at the McGregor fight was way too much. He was like, this is kind of pathetic at this point. Because after the BMF fight, he was cool and, like, kind of on top of the world. And people really liked talking about him. And then that happened. And everyone was like, like, what is the point of this? You look stupid right now. All right. So let me open up the phone lines here. 877-FIGHT-93. 877-344-4893. Let me be very clear about something. I am not stating to you my opinion about Masvidal. Or, in fact, how about this? I actually will. I like Masvidal a lot. I've liked Masvidal for a very long time. Long before he was ever selling liquor or getting BMF titles. We've been having Masvidal on this show. And I'll just say it straight up before anybody give a f- about him. Um our record about our belief in Jorge Masvidal is long and storied and documented, and that's just a fact. But I am noticing, it's not overwhelming, but I am noticing some suspicious trends, let's put it that way, with how some of the wider community might be viewing Masvidal. Now, for me, here's what, I've, here's what I saw. Somebody asked me about it in my live chat today, about him trying too hard. And I was like, that's a little weird. Then I went and looked on all the comments on uh, social media clips of him yesterday. And all of the clips had some kind of comment to that effect. And then I remember what you said about your friends and then what Connor said. And here's one thing I can say right now. I do think that at this moment, Jorge Masvidal is a little bit overexposed. Right, I mean, they're all of a sudden shoving cameras in his face at every possible opportunity. It's probably pretty hard to turn it down, but there might be a case for that. Like going to Mexico and doing the scrum in Spanish, two thumbs up. Doing the Dan Lebitard show, two thumbs up. Doing the occasional radio show here or there, two thumbs up. He did Akam Barak, that kind of a thing. I don't think any of that is really the issue, but it's going above and beyond that. And then there was the Super Bowl thing where what I'm noticing is the things he said to Askren and then the things he said to Nate to a lesser degree, but some of the same stuff, is the same stuff he's repeating. Like there's there's beginning to be a lot of repetition of breaking his face, crotch sniffing. It's just a lot of the same talking points. Which here's the thing, dude. What do you expect fighters to do? They're not comedians. They're not you know, they're not actors. They're not I don't think I don't think Jorge's acting. That's just how he feels. The problem is if you pack all of that stuff together in close succession, I wonder if that might be a bit too much for the audience. So for me, I like Jorge. I'm glad to see his success. I think it's long overdue. I do think he's done a little bit too much media uh, in too much of a close succession and then saying a lot of the same things. And I think that is probably rubbing people a little bit the wrong way. Um but I wonder if there's something more to this. Maybe it's not much. I, I don't know the answer because it's not how I feel. But I see a change because, I mean, b- after the Askren fight, the media response and the fan response was like overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly positive. So what is happening? The question is, are people turning on Masvidal? And the reason why I'm asking it is technically twofold. One, it's not how I feel at all. Uh, This is not some cowardly like, oh, people are turning on Masvidal. There's good reason for it. Dude, the fans didn't like Cormier until they did. Right? (laughs) I mean, you know, how I feel and how the fans feel, sometimes they overlap. A lot of times they don't. 
I'm not here to police the world. In fact, I can't. I can tell you how I feel. I'm happy for all of Masvidal's success. Whatever they're paying him, it's not enough. I thought the Canelo fight thing... Uh, by the way, we didn't bring that up. That might be annoying people. It certainly annoyed us. I did find that the whole I want to fight Canelo thing really annoying. But um, in general, you know, I get it. These guys are trying to maximize their what you know their, their value at the top and blah, blah, blah. Okay. Um... So it's not how I feel, but I'm I'm detecting that others might, and as a consequence, I'm trying to. For me, this is a fact finding mission. There might be some evidence to suggest that people are getting a little tired of what is like of him right now. I don't know that that is true. I, I, it's hard for me to tell. So maybe you can pick up on this. I do think he's doing a little too much media in close succession. Um, I do think that, you know, and you can understand it, man, a guy who's never had the appropriate amount of media, all of a sudden he's got it, he probably is going to do a little bit too much, right? Knowing how to calibrate that happens better when you you have time to, um, you know, work up to that kind of a thing, or you've been doing it at that level for a long time. When I say that level, I don't mean as a fighter, I mean as a box office attraction. Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.